Welcome to episode number 124 of the podcast, More Than Bread. I've really appreciated hearing from some of you about how you are using the podcast, how God is using it in your life. Thanks for taking the time to let me know. And if, and if you haven't, but you want to, just shoot me an email at dan at calvarysc.org, or you can even text me at 814-235-9615. And, and please, I would just ask if, if this has been, is being a helpful podcast, a, a part of your your spiritual growth, your devotional life, pass it on. Let, let others know about it. Both the, the top 40 Psalms and 40 uh, episodes of going through the New Testament and the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John, any of them, um, but especially if you're enjoying the Psalms, let them know that. So in this chapter of More Than Bread, we're hanging out in the Psalms. And, and I, I like this description of the Psalms that I ran across recently. It said that the Psalms are the words of people to God that have become the word of God to his people, which means that God, God uses the Psalms to speak to us, but we can also use the Psalms to speak to God. The Psalms are filled with Hebrew poetry. They use language creatively. They invite us to come with our hearts Emotions are front and center and very welcome in the Psalms. Like most poetry, the Psalms use imagery to form pictures. Images may not be as precise as words, but they do have an ability to bypass the walls of our intellect and stimulate our emotions, stir up our hearts. And and God gave us both, head and heart, soul, mind, body, head, heart. God gave us all of it to help us connect with him. Now, one last thing before we let our hearts and our minds get stirred up by Psalm 42. That's where we're at in this episode. Remember, the word pictures in the Psalms first came to life in an ancient, non-Western agricultural context. So letting the Psalms impact us might require a step or two in, in the sandals of the people then to understand the effect these pictures might have had on the original listeners. For example, describing enemies as dogs refers to wild and dangerous animals, not pets. Rocks today may not bring to mind refuge, but imagine what kind of refuge it was for them. So Psalm 42 is one of the psalms that can bypass the walls of our intellect and stir up our hearts. It's a song, and it's it's a song of desperate longing and, and the unsatisfied hungers and thirsts of our soul. It's a cry for the refreshment of our hearts, and it starts with a deer on the run. Listen to Psalm 42 from the New International Version. David, the psalmist, writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things, these things I remember as I pour up my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? In my words, this is kind of the chorus we'll come back to more than once in Psalm 42 and again in 43. After kind of letting loose with the negative, he, he, he rises with a question, Why, O oh soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. 
By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, O soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So let me start with a question from Psalm 42. The question is, do you enjoy waiting? (laughs) And here's the answer. No, I do not. I mean, let's be honest. We are not a patient people. We don't really like waiting. We're we're a people in a horn honking hurry. Robert Levine, in a book called The Geography of Time, suggests the creation of a new unit of time called the honkosecond. It's a time between when the light changes and the person behind you honks her horn. <laughs> he claims it's the the smallest measure of time known to science. How well do you wait? Do you get impatient if your app takes more than ten seconds to load? <laughs> How long are you willing to wait for your food at Chick-fil-A? How long are you willing to wait for delivery from Amazon? How long will you wait for return text before you check the location finder? In this episode, we start looking at Psalm 42 and actually 43, because functionally 42 and 43 are one psalm in two parts. Some call it a companion psalm. Together, it's classified as a psalm of lament, a heart cry written in those moments where someone is waiting for the bad stuff to stop and the good stuff to start. It's a song that pretty transparently describes some real-life moments waiting. This is a psalm of waiting. Some forms of waiting in parking lots and online, they're they're really somewhat trivial, but there are more difficult waits, aren't there? Years of waiting for a family relationship or friendship to be reconciled. Years waiting for a marriage to meet your expectations. The waiting of a child who seems always to be on the outside edge of being in, waiting for the day when someone will choose them first. A man waiting on cancer. The waiting of a childless couple who so much want to start a family. The wait of someone who longs for a job that's meaningful and significant, but but can't seem to get the right yes. The weight of a woman struggling with depression, waiting for a moment, morning when she'll wake up wanting to live. Waiting of parents with a special needs child. The waiting of a single person who hopes God has marriage in store. The weight of a son for a single word of approval from his father. Or, Or how about the weight of someone who longs to make a meaningful connection with God, but it just seems like God is silent, absent, hidden. The psalmist writes, as the deer pants for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I uh, once upon a time, I, I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks. It was the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? The psalmist was experiencing what some writers have called the dark night of the soul. Discouragement, sadness, a broken heart, tears for food, the taunting of enemies, waiting, 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 waiting for God to make it better, waiting for God to show up. Have you ever been there? 
You know, sometimes that darkness is caused by spiritual shadows. Like the deer pants for the streams of life-giving water, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We, we often think of these words as the words of someone in tune with God who just cannot seem to get enough, but I don't think they are. I think they're the words of someone who cannot find God at all, who is in that kind of season, that kind of chapter. When can I come and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. He's He's longing for, searching for the soul-satisfying water of God, and instead all, all she finds, all she has to drink are tears. These are the words of someone who cannot find God. Have you ever felt that way? I have. Times when it seems I search for an experience of God, but I feel nothing. Times when I desperately need a word from God, but I hear nothing. Times when I, I I need to be assured that God is working, but I see nothing. Times when it seems that like the psalmist, the best I can do is remember how good it used to be. And in those moments, the cry of my heart is, God, where are you? What what did I do wrong? Why, why do you make me wait? Have you ever experienced spiritual shadows? From Mount Hermon, the, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mitzur, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. Sometimes a dark night of the soul is caused by overwhelming circumstances. The NIV puts verse 7 this way, Deep calls unto deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Like you're standing underneath the Niagara Falls of circumstances that just kept pounding in your head, waves of problems rolling in, fear, failure, grief crashing over you, one right after another, so you can't even stand, you can't even catch your breath, the roar of waterfalls, all your waves have swept over me, I can't catch my breath, overwhelming circumstances, stuff going on inside you that you can't figure out, can't get over, keeping you down, and it's not just the overwhelming circumstances, right? The water the waiter, the writer, excuse me, continues in verse 9, says, Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forsaken me? Why must I wander in darkness, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts pierce me like a fatal wound. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Sometimes the dark night of the soul is caused by oppressive enemies. Sometimes it's people, but you know what? More often the real enemy behind the people is the enemy of our soul. Paul himself said in Ephesians chapter 6, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. And it's just like in the dark night of your soul, he taunts you. You say you believe in God. Where is he when you need him? He's not coming. He doesn't care. You're, you're forgotten. You're alone. You're unseen. You'll never find your way out of this darkness. There's some of you listening, you've come to a point where you believe the taunts of your enemy and you feel ignored and forgotten or maybe even rejected by God. You, you don't believe the words of Father God in Zechariah 2.8 when he says, He who touches you touches the apple of my eye and surely I will raise my hand against him and he will become your plunder. Rejoice, I am coming and I will live in your midst. If you've ever gone through or you're currently going through a dark night of the soul, I have good news for you. <laughs> you are not alone. The road you walk is not a small dirt path. It's a major highway in the wilderness. In fact, you may be in a most enviable place. 
a place from which God is calling you. God is actually making a way for you to go deeper with him. That's what the dark night of the soul is all about. It's a place where you make a decision, you make a choice. Will I go deeper with him? God is actually making a way for you to go deeper with him. You, you can grab onto what you need most. And what do you need most? We, we need hope. This refrain written three times, a thought that God put on the heart of the author of the psalm is stuck in his mind and he just kept coming back to it. Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. John Ortberg writes, hope is the fuel that the human heart runs on. A car crash or a diving accident can paralyze a body, but the death of hope paralyzes the spirit. Do you understand? Hope is why there are marriages in universities, and and true hope is why parents will pay for both. (laughs) Hope is what leads a young man and woman to stand before me and say, I do, even though there are no guarantees. Hope is what will fuel that same couple many years later in the midst of broken hearts and broken promises to say, let's give it one more try. Hope is why we keep bringing children into a world that's full of uncertainties. Hope is why kids keep asking, even though we say no. (laughs) Hope is why the pirates keep coming to spring training. (laughs) Hope was the fuel when a young shepherd named David walked out to confront a nine-foot warrior named Goliath. Hope was the fuel when Mary, the mother of Jesus, said to an angel, Let it be to me as you have said. Hope was the fuel when Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water. Hope makes an extraordinary difference in our lives. In fact, one study indicated that hope not only motivates us, it has healing power. In a study of 122 men who had experienced heart attacks, the loss of hope increased the odds of death more than 300%. The level of hope was a better predictor of death than blood pressure, heart damage, or cholesterol levels. Listen, it's healthier to eat Krispy Kreme donuts with hope than to eat broccoli in despair. (laughs) And how do we recover hope in the midst of a dark night of the soul? We remember. How I remember shapes how I hope. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks. It was the sound of a great celebration, but now I am deeply discouraged. But I will remember your kindness. You're going to remember how it used to be, or are you going to remember God's kindness? What we remember matters. When you look back, what do you see? Do you remember what's left, or do you remember what's lost? How we look back shapes how we look forward. Hope is a forward-looking word. When we look back and focus on what's been lost, it, it leads to bitterness. It destroys gratitude, and it leads to despair. And the difficulty with bitterness is that usually bitterness is justified. If you're listening and you're bitter, you probably have good cause to be bitter. You have true losses. You've been hurt, and you can't let that go because it really happened. But the problem with bitterness is that it requires you to live in the past when hope requires that you look to the future. If we miss the grace of God, if we can't look back in gratitude, it leads to bitterness. It it ties us to our past and it leads us to believe we have no future, which is the essence of despair. So remember his kindness. Practice gratitude. Look back. Take, Take some time, even today, and write down 50 things for which you can be grateful to God for. 
look back with gratitude? What if gratitude is the path to future thirst-quenching, life-giving water from God? Just as a deer seeks refreshment from a flowing stream, the psalmist's soul longs for the living God. The psalmist is honest, transparent, and vulnerable about their feelings of despair and sorrow. I'm downcast. I'm troubled. I'm even taunted by my enemies, but I'm going to cling to hope by remembering God's past kindness. I won't quit seeking. I won't quit hoping. I won't quit being grateful. And one of these days, one of these days, the hunger of my soul, my thirsty heart will find the delight of what I desire, his presence. Let me read Psalm 42 again, this time from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message. A white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God, deep drafts of God. I'm I'm thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it arrive and drink in God's presence? I'm on a diet of tears, tears for breakfast, tears for supper. All day long, people knock at my door, pestering, where is this God of yours? These are the things I go over and over, emptying out the pockets of my life. I I was always at the head of the worshiping crowd, right out in front, leading them all, eager to arrive and worship, shouting, shouting praises, singing thanksgiving, celebrating all of us, God's feast. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. When my soul is in the dumps, I rehearse everything I know of you, from Jordan depths to Hermon heights, including Mount Bitzer. Chaos calls to chaos to the tune of whitewater rapids. Your breaking surf, your thundering breakers crash and crush me. Then God promises to love me all day, sing songs all through the night. My, my life is God's prayer. Sometimes I ask God, my rock-solid God, why did you let me down? Why am I walking around in tears, harassed by enemies? They're out for the kill, these tormentors, with their obscenities, taunting day after day. Where is this God of yours? Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He is my God. Let me pray for you. Father, on the hard days, the difficult days, and in the good times, you are our God. I pray for each and every person listening who's really wrestling with hope. God, I pray that they would not quit. I pray that you would give them the strength, the perseverance, the courage to take another step, to live another day. I pray that they would remember back, and remembering back, they would not focus on what they've lost, but on what they have left. I pray that you would give them a spirit of gratitude, that they would they would be able to see and remember, look for even little things for which they could be grateful to you. God, there's such cleansing power in your gratitude. I pray that you would give them hope. Even as the enemy taunts them, I pray that you would give them hope. Even as, as the hard days are long, I pray that you would give them hope. And that the day would come when they would turn their eyes and see your face once again because you love them so very deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.